Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome today's guest, a strong and powerful Tom Jacobs. Tom, are you ready to do this? Oh, well, with that lead in, I better be. (laughs) Excellent. Let's do this. Tom is a partner with Huckleberry Capital Management, a boutique investment advisory, serving clients in 20 states and three foreign countries. Um, He is the author of several books. He is also a former teacher, attorney, and senior analyst with The Motley Fool. I'm excited to have you on. Tom, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why it is you do what you do. George, uh, happy to happy to fill in you and your and our wonderful listeners today. Uh, I have been investing since I was 12 years old. My dad noticed that I was reading the stock tables in the afternoon newspaper. Can you believe I just said afternoon newspaper? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I heard the and words, I, but I don't even know what it is. So, yeah, right. Well, we used to get them in the morning <laughs> and some cities in the afternoon and you would get, uh, well, late afternoon and you would get the stock tables, uh, in both sometimes. Anyway, he would see me reading them on the floor and he said, well, this is interesting. <laughs> Let's buy some stock. So I've been uh, interested ever since then. And, uh, had the various careers you talked about and very much like to help my clients not get ripped off by Wall Street. Yes. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And that's a a, a noble calling, (laughs) certainly. And it seems like that's getting easier and easier, but maybe I'm way off base on that one. Well, I think that uh, it cannot be overstated what Jack Bogle and Vanguard did uh, for the individual investor. Uh, particularly the ones with more limited means, that that lower fee options are out there. But I still get people coming to me who uh, are coming from financial advisors, right, who are under a lesser ethical standard than uh, investment advisors who are expected to be fiduciaries. And they, they bring me these statements where they're still uh, being invested in American family of funds and paying 5% plus loads. I mean, can you believe that? These things do. These things do still exist. You are. You are absolutely right. So. Well, right, and at the Motley Fool in particular, we would. We would. We just thought, okay, once you have Vanguard, the debate is over. But there are still load funds, and there's still plenty of people uh, invested in them. Anyway, so I live in a small town in West Texas, two thousand people. Uh, fortunately, the my books and so on have and writing have given me a national audience. So I, and that's where, why I have clients, uh, outside of Marfa. But one of the things about being in a small town is you really get clued into people's financial needs on the ground in a way that you don't in cities. And I, I'd always lived in cities before. And that's another thing, you know, you get much more personal relationships with people and you see, you see how important what you and I do is, um, when when you're not in a place where they're being bombarded by advertising all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. So after the uh, starting when, when you were 12 years old to where you are today, tell us a little bit about your practice. What does it look like? We are f- three ex-Motley Fools. 
uh, in Cupertino, California, in the heart of Silicon Valley, uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and here in Marfa. And we decided to join forces a few years ago. Um, I had left The Fool, and another one of the guys had. And we just said, why don't we work together? We have the same values. Uh, our clients tend to be, uh, I guess it's what's called the mass affluent in the trade, which I, I think is not a very good, uh, very good term. But we, we have clients of all means, all ages, and uh, they seem to be interested in two areas primarily. Everybody wants growth, whatever that means to them. But also uh, we find – and I knew that this would be part of the case, but people really want more income than they're – obviously than they're getting at a bank. Uh, and they want more dividends than the S&P 500 is paying, you know, with 1.9 or something like that. Got it. Okay. Well, yeah, I would have to imagine there are a lot of folks that fall into that uh, category, mass affluent. So. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it's uh, – we have – we have smaller clients. We have wealthier clients. I think that um, it's our our view is you know it, it, this sounds self serving, of course. Uh, so everyone should take it with a grain of salt. But we're far more interested in the fit than we are with the assets people have, uh, and in large part, it's it's because we need to find out what people expect from us. And I think this is something that listeners looking for advisors what anybody need to be careful of is that uh, is the fit right are you comfortable with the personality we spend a lot of time at the beginning um i don't know if you've seen buffett's ground rules from his early partnership days but he was pretty direct he said look this is what i do this is what i don't do uh and we need to have a fit and i in in this profession people pretty much will tell prospective clients anything just to get their money and it's not worth it in the long run people are unhappy i think that that's so important um for for both parties for the advisor and for the client as well because you're right if it's not a good fit then it's not going to be a good turnout for anybody so right and, and so you know it's it's like we don't view ourselves as salespeople, uh and and this is true of any investment advisor right we don't sell insurance we don't sell uh uh, annuities and all these things. We just are investment managers and we stay there. And, and because we're compensated on a percentage of assets, our incentive is to grow those assets. You go to a financial advisor, they get you in the door, they get their commissions and you never hear from them again. Anyway. Got it. Yeah. So I certainly appreciate the fact that every year that your clients accounts go up, you get a raise. So yes, there. exactly. So, that there so is you can imagine there. what I want. <laughs> yes. Right. You are interested in, in, in there being more than there are less. So I, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I totally get it. All right. So you're dealing with, with, with folks from, from different backgrounds and different age groups. What are some through lines that, if, if, if people were able to make a change, if they're able to make an improvement, would make things much better for them in any area? Yeah, I think that the, the biggest challenge that I face uh, is getting people to, to think long term. It's one of the most commonly used words or hyphenated words in our field. 
And yet everything out there is designed to get people to not be long-term. Uh, said that uh, life was a conspiracy. He didn't put it like this because uh, I can't remember exactly, but a conspiracy to keep you from sustaining a thought for more than 30 seconds. And so I, I have to really get people to understand long-term compounding uh, that that your money is snow, wet snow rolling down a long hill. The younger you start, the uh, more compounding you have. People, they see on the news, for example, oh, the Dow is at an all-time high, the S&P 500 is at an all-time high, you know, uh, what's happening with my account and you know, all this sort of stuff. And, well, you know, I have to explain to them that the S&P 500 is basically over the last year five stocks. And if you didn't own Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Google, and a few others, then you didn't get that. And uh, Or when the market goes down um, and their accounts don't go down as much, well, you actually don't hear from them then. But, <laughs> but my, my biggest challenge is – and it's not any of an individual's fault. It's the absolute money firepower – that the financial and general media have when they are reporting on investing. I mean, it's th people see it as a sport. You know, every day uh, at the end of the news hour, for example, I watch the news hour in PBS, you know, they have the market data for the indexes. Who cares? But you, they, people sit there and they think, oh, okay, it's up. All's well with the world. Next day, it's down. Oh, it's... It, if I could just get people uh, to have more of a long-term perspective, it would be – life would be so much better for them. You know, it's not about me. It's that uh, – let me ramble on just another minute because I know we're <laughs> interested – right? We're going to be talking about the – about getting a higher uh, uh, yield from your portfolio. And one of the things is that, that uh, metaphor, analogy, whatever about compounding money and the snowball rolling down a hill and becoming a big wet kind of boulder and your money gets bigger and bigger and bigger over time. It's very hard to get people to accept a long, slow increase that ends up being really dramatic. People want action. They want excitement. They want things to be all over the map. You know, uh, they want sexy stocks and so on. So just to finish this up, one of the things I love about living where I do is there are a lot of people out here who are in the ranching business and they have seen boom and bust and they don't want sexy. They're very happy to have nice slow growth over time. Got it. Yeah. Our society does not reward slow and steady wins the race. It is more of a push notification and clickbaity and quick happiness than it is uh, long term. So I, 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 I appreciate that. You referenced how, how Vanguard and Jack Bogle have really helped to bring investing to the masses. And you mentioned the S&P 500. But tell us about, about your approach and Huckleberry's approach to managing money. You referenced getting a higher yield a minute ago. Uh, yeah. The, the thing about index investing that I think is very important is that it works best when you're adding money over time. If you, let's say you're rolling over your 401k, uh, you're, let's say in your sixties, I would imagine like probably most people statistically, you roll it over in a way you're market timing. 
You're saying, okay, I'm taking this chunk of money and wherever it is, the, mark, the, the broad market as represented by an index, I'm putting in right now. And if you were to ask anybody if they were market timing when they do that, they would laugh at you. So, oh, well, I'm right. not market timing. I, I'm index investing, right? But they're no longer dollar cost averaging. They're no longer adding and getting the employer match every pay period. So uh, one of the things that is really important for me is when I have clients within five to 10 years of retirement and then retirement and after to have them in something that's that pays out the current income they want and or is reinvesting those dividends so that they're getting the dollar cost averaging as they age. And one of the and I'm happy to expand on any of that that may, you know, where I <laughs> perhaps I didn't clarify. But the the thing is you you're younger, um, but I was raised on this thing where uh, you want your age in bonds and the rest in stocks. So right. if you're 70, you have 70 percent bonds, 30 percent in stocks and so on and so forth. Well, we're living so much long, longer now that we actually need more equities for a longer period of time. And so I think it's really important with with the income approach that we're going to talk about that people – uh, they don't just go bonds whole hog as they get older uh, and they don't market time. They don't just throw it all into an index fund uh, from their 401k. Um, uh, there's a lot of stuff there that that uh, that is important, but I think you probably get my drift. Yeah, that's one of the things I, I, I think that I do understand. One of the challenges with people desiring, and for good reason, a low-cost investment option like indexing um, and like robo-advisors and things like that is that there is a lot of skill that that is lost, which is what you were just describing. And oftentimes it's active management versus passive management, and there's nowhere in the middle that either one of them will meet. It's very binary. Um, But it sounds to me like you're able to find a lot of value for your clients taking a bit more active approach. I, I hope so. And I think that you're – I'm going to steal what you just said and use it uh, frequently. There is, right. The, the, it's a false choice between passive and active and the idea that all passive is good and all active is bad. It really depends on are you adding – Regularly, monthly, quarterly, every paycheck. Uh, are you reinvesting dividends, um, or uh, what is your age situation? How much volatility can you handle? I used to think that it was binary, particularly when I was at the Monthly Fool, because we saw what what load funds and actively managed funds, for the most part, had done to people. Uh, but now that I'm actually working with people in this capacity, I see that a middle ground is often very, very important. And individual situations really do matter. I mean, I, I particularly when you're getting close to retirement or after, when you're much more interested in dependability than, um, you know, what's hot. Yep. I appreciate that very much. Um, if you would, share, us, share with us a little bit what the idea of complete alignment that I read about on your website is. I think that that's an important thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, 
we probably look like we're, uh, what's the term, optimists and uh, idealists. But I think that I think that's an important thing that we we really do want to be aligned with our clients. We really do want to meet their needs. Uh, and we we have a there are a lot of people out there like us except they don't serve a whole lot of actual dollars. And let me explain what I mean by that. You walk into a Wells Fargo, you walk into Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley or whatever, and they hand you, they, they do all ask you all these questions and they put all your information in and they print out this lovely stuff with colored pie charts and it looks really impressive. And plus they have nice offices, right? And, uh, <laughs> Right. And then they show you, OK, this is the balanced portfolio and you need X of that. And then this is the international and this is the well, very interesting thing happens. They're the same five or six portfolios that you will see in every office of Wells Fargo. And they won't differ that much from what you will see in Morgan Stanley or Merrill uh, or any other widely known firms, whether it's Stifle, uh, Woodell Reed and so on. So you um, – and then this is the other thing that's really interesting. If you look at the stocks across all these portfolios, you start seeing the same ones crop up. Wait a minute. How is that stock balanced versus how is that stock international? Well, there's a very good reason for the fact that it's a small universe of stocks. If you're Wells Fargo and you're managing hundreds of billions of dollars in these cookie-cutter strategies, you can only invest in the stocks that have – massive liquidity, massive dollar volumes of trading. And one of the advantages that the individual investor has, particularly in obtaining higher yields, is being able to invest in closed-end bond funds that maybe have $2 million of liquidity a day, $3 million, $4 million. That's available to individual investment advisors, individual clients to invest in. <laughs> but if you're Wells Fargo – You'd have to use the entire daily volume for a year to fill your office's client needs. Right. Got it. I think that that's a really important point that very few uh, people really consider, um, but it's a very, very real thing. So, got it. Right. right. And they think, of course, oh, small is risky or something, but it's I, – I understand that. Uh, there's a – and, and let, I am not uh, – a purist in this sense. It what's right for anyone is what keeps them from going to Vegas and lighting up their money, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean if you pay a little more uh, to get average market returns uh, at a big name place, hey, it beats perhaps the damage that might be done elsewhere. You know, I, I am definitely not holier than thou, but I do look at a reality, which is that. There are different things a person can do um, if, as long as they're not dealing with uh, ten billion of, of assets. You know. Yeah. Right. Well, Tom, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them, sir? <laughs> well, I would. I I think the main thing I would say to people is you can get more yield than you think. For example, we offer uh, and we're. Listen, I, I, you can get this in the world. Six, seven, eight percent yields, uh, safe, that grow over time and bring the stock price with them, a kind of dividend growth. 
uh, with REITs and bonds and so on that you cannot get at big firms. Uh, and with so you get your six, seven, eight percent plus a point or two of capital appreciation. And people just don't realize that it's out there without taking a big risk. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. So, <laughs> oh, let me throw that throw in, George, when our book on that is out, I hope uh, in the in late fall or early winter, I hope you'll have me back to talk about it. <laughs> yes, sir. We'd be happy to do that. All right, thanks. You just let me know exactly when and we will have you back on. So, oh, I'll, the day it's published, <laughs> you're, you're the first name on my on my phone list. <laughs> if, if we're going to be smart about this, you better give me a little bit more lead time than that, though. Oh, okay. So, All right. <laughs> so, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. We look forward to having you back on in the future. In the meantime, where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Uh, we're at invest huckleberry.com invest huckleberry.com and tom at invest huckleberry.com and just one quick thing when my friend alex came up with the name huckleberry capital management i had to join right every huck needs a tom (laughs) (laughs) there it is there it is (laughs) right tom sawyer that's my middle name (laughs) really no, it's okay. not. <laughs> you never know. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Mr. Tom Sawyer over here your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Thank you again, Tom. Uh, I really enjoyed it, George. Thanks. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.